Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the wildfires out west, and then we're going to reflect on six months of the pandemic before being joined by Austin Massey, who's just started a new coffee shop called Viator Coffee Company. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Hope you're doing well. As a reminder, find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we are thankful to those of you uh, who do that. Ian, how are you today? How are you on this Thursday afternoon? I'm great, man. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'm glad that I could. Uh, hey, I wanted to start off here. Have you been watching any of the footage of those wildfires out West? I don't have a whole lot to talk about here, except to say those are the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. Have you been following that at all? I have. Yeah, it's pretty wild. What is that? Do you have any, uh, any thoughts as you watch it? Because here, I'll, I'll share as you think about one of my thoughts. I was watching today's show today, and they were literally just showing things burning and then how everything's turning orange out there and, yeah. and the sun being blocked. And my first thought was sometimes nature just shows again, right, that we're not in control, <laughs> that, that it's just unreal, the relentless power, whether it be a hurricane or a tornado in this case. Uh, fire. I, I, I was just overwhelmed. Watch. I can't imagine being living there and living in fear of this. Uh, I don't know. Uh, what were some of your thoughts as you were watching news coverage of this? Well, I mean, some of it's controlled, you know, true. Not having uh gender reveal party. A gender reveal party. Yeah. That, that wasn't, can't really fit that under an act of God category. <laughs> Valid point. Yeah, that, if that wasn't so sad, it would be uh, it would be funny. But we're thinking of all the people out there. Those those pictures are just unbelievable. Uh, but what I wanted to do here to start, I don't know why this hit me. Uh, I saw today I was reading and they said uh, one place said it was today. One place said it was tomorrow, said uh, six months from when we started our pandemic lockdown. Uh, so it's been six months ago today. Uh which seems like really long and also really short all at the same time. Uh, I think about it's been six months since we've done a show at the studio, right? We've both instead been at our home six months since a lot of our churches have been meeting in any normal way, if at all, since schools have been in session uh, in any kind of normal way. I, I, I wanted to kind of ask you, what are, what is something I I know we're still in the midst of it, but looking back over six months, what's one or two things you think you've learned or has been impressed upon you by going through this global pandemic that we've been dealing with now for six months? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's probably a number of directions I could go there. Kind of, yeah. you know, part and parcel to what you were just saying. We're not ultimately in control. I've, I've said a couple of times on the show, I don't think necessarily that we've lost control. I think we've lost the illusion that we ever were in control. I think that's been humbling for a lot of people, especially if you have a little bit of inner control freak. Uh, I think the other thing that I've learned is the significance of rhythms. You know, I think when you're driving all over the place or especially in ministry, no two days look exactly the same. So sometimes that can that can sort of mask a little bit how out of whack some of your rhythms are just because, you know, you're doing a bunch of different things. And you're driving all over the place. And I think 
part of what I've really honestly appreciated in the midst of all of this. And that's not to in any way say that, you know, the tragic loss of life and loss of health and job, that all of that still is just as intense. I've appreciated in my little corner of the world an opportunity to be a little more focused and intentional on being with my family, mm-hmm. on um, starting and ending days with a little more intentionality. But it it has also revealed, I think and we've talked about this a number of times, some of the kind of low grade ugliness that I think was always there, but you throw something like a pandemic on it. Um, and we've mm-hmm. talked a good deal about how we carry ourselves online and some of what we've seen, even unfortunately from Christians and Christian leaders. But to offer some good news though, I think we've also seen some incredible acts of charity and generosity and sacrifice and love. And it is just interesting to see how polarized even, even in like my newsfeed, some of those stories can be, it could be one right after the other one of, just awful selfishness of people hoarding hand sanitizer than the next one about somebody, yeah. you know, opening up their home to, to people that lost theirs. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, everything feels uh, very, very diametrical almost at this point. It almost, it almost feels like, gosh, our highs are higher and our lows are lower. And yet we're having to do all of that without, you know, the physiological benefit of being able to hug somebody or being able to be near someone physically or, simple pleasures like coffee with a friend, you know, which mm-hmm. I, I think those are, those are sacred interactions. And so it's not just like, Oh, I miss coffee with my friend. It's like, no, no, there's something intrinsic into how we were built that longs for those types of connections. And when we, you know, when we don't have them, I think we, we feel that lack for sure. Yeah. I, I resonate with what you said. I think the number one thing that I'll look back and again, we're in the middle of it, but uh, that I'll look back on these six months, at least is just, uh, some extended family time that wasn't planned on <laughs> that wasn't um, you know, that, that wasn't because of anything that we had planned out. Uh, but uh, a lot more family dinners at home and a lot more things just being together as a family that I will uh, always cherish and hopefully be changed going forward. Like, okay, we need to still prioritize family and family time. I'm curious, and we've touched on this throughout randomly over the last six months, but how do you feel like you've been changed as a pastor? What are things that you've realized, um, either things taken away or things that you've now tried or whatever? What, what have you, how have you changed as a pastor? I mean, there's a lot that's changed. I think, you know, maybe less interestingly, how we think through communication styles and preaching and even down to, you know, like preaching to a camera uh, has not been my favorite thing to do in general. Yeah. Um, but learning even new ways to do that, I've I've also noticed and kind of what I was saying earlier, I think it's not so much the stage that I miss, but the lobby and the conversations and the shared meals and the coffee. But I've been really, really proud of our church because I think we've mobilized in some really wonderful ways to give back. I think we've seen the generosity of people, the care of people that I think was always there, but. I, I, they have really risen to the occasion in some in some pretty remarkable ways, and that's been super moving for me as a pastor yeah. to see some of the not just the resiliency, like well, we're, we're going to hunker down and survive this thing, but saying, hey, you know, the building might be closed, but the church is not closed, and the mission isn't over, and we're still going to go after opportunities to love people and to be with people and to show them the love of Christ. Like I just have really appreciated that, and that for me is just all the more endeared my heart to our church and the people, you know, that, uh, that make it what it is. And I, I've been, I've been really, really grateful for that. 
Yeah, I think in some ways, I, I like that phrase you use. I, you used it a couple times, but yesterday it struck me when you said, I miss uh, the lobby more than the stage. Uh, I, I'd so resonate with that because I, I think one thing that, you know, again, whatever the new normal ends up being, hopefully we go back to much more normal, what it was like March 1st or whatever at some point. And I, I hope to never again take for granted the ability to stand at the back of the church and just shake hands and hug necks and say hello and not behind masks or, or like, like looking at each other, like we've got the plague, <laughs> but to just connect in that way and to see the church um, be able to be communal in that way. And and it has also brought up just new ways to connect. Like the uh, a lot of the ways we're used to being able to, uh, be in community and relation with one another just have been taken away from us. And so what does it mean for the church? I've appreciated being able to talk that through uh, on this show. Cause I'm like you, I, I, I don't think that uh, I'll miss preaching to a camera or to people in masks, but I do totally miss people uh, being able to just shake a hand and hug a neck. And hopefully we never take that for granted again. So again, we're just reflecting on six months. It seems weird because we're also still in the middle of it. And so, uh, but be curious as to uh, how you're processing six months is a long time. Lots has changed school, church, uh, everything we do has changed in some way. And so wanted to spend some time reflecting on that. Well, coming up next, we're going to be joined by Austin Massey. Uh, Austin is a worship leader, but also the owner of Viator Coffee Company in Elgin. We're going to talk to Austin about all sorts of things next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate you being with us. And uh, we are loved. We love when we get to be joined by guests and we're bringing one back from he's been on the show before. But welcome back to Austin Massey. Austin, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just an honor to be here. Appreciate all awesome. of your time. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time from from quite a busy life. So yeah. why don't you tell us? I want you to introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Austin Massey. I'm owner of Viator Coffee. Um, uh, it's a new coffee shop in Elgin, Illinois, uh, father of three, uh, just had twins, uh, a couple months ago, uh, mid COVID and, uh, yeah, worship leader at a church out in Crystal Lake, Illinois as well. So, so tell me a little bit about what you were just saying, because I'm sure it's on a lot of people's minds. How in the world do you open a new business in the, in the midst of a pandemic? Oh man, it was just literally the craziest thing ever. I mean, so last time uh, I, I got the honor to be on the show, um, you know, Ian and I talked a little bit about kind of uh, Viator Coffee, you know, started as a catering company, actually, a mobile espresso bar, um, and felt, you know, kind of led to, um, you know, quit my full time job and take this big leap of faith in starting this coffee company. And, uh, you know, I'd seen it, you know, continuously grow. And then, of course, COVID hits, all of our events cancel. Everything that I had on the docket for the next, like, four or five months is just, you know, it's, it's a desert. You know, it's like, yeah. all right, well, that was fun. Well, um, <laughs> now I got to go back to sales or figure out something else because I, I have twins on the way and uh, all of this. And, um, yeah, just trying to you know, wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord and remember his, his promises and he's faithful 
to, to um, keep those promises. And then, you know, we have our, our twins. Um, thank the Lord for, uh, you know, stimulus checks and, uh, yeah. and unemployment because uh, I don't know how we would have done it, honestly. Um, but yeah, so we had our twins and then, you know, our son was in the NICU, um, Mm. and you know, we're running back and forth to the NICU all the time, multiple times a a day. And, um, yeah, I get a call on my way to the NICU, you know, a week after our, our twins are born and it's the owner of this, uh, this space, this restaurant space in Elgin. Um, and he was kind of interested, um, in talking to us about opening a cafe. And I was like, that's kind of out of nowhere, you know, did not expect that. (laughs) And just kind of started the conversation from there. And here we are a couple months later, um, with a beautiful new space. We just had our our grand opening on Saturday and it was just uh, an amazing showing of friends and family just here to support us and, Felt, felt really encouraged by the whole day. So it was, it was a beautiful, um, just kind of full circle moment of like God's faithfulness to his promises and to, um, you know, the callings that we have in our life and, and all that. It was just really, really beautiful. So awesome. many, many tears were shed and uh, just joyful sure. tears, you know. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure. So. <laughs> I'm sure. I'd love to know what's the work. Uh, it's got to be crazy trying to get a coffee shop started, a cafe started. Uh, what's that process like? What have the last couple of months been like just to get it off the ground? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, fortunately, I've had, uh, you know, 10 years in the making of just like dreams and ideas, had a full, you know, 30 or 40 page business plan all done, had all of the you know, the groundwork all laid and I was able to just kind of come into the space. The building owner, um, you know, is an awesome guy, is a fellow believer. Um, and, you know, he was not only willing to do things as a landlord to, you know, kind of build out the space for us, but then, you know, we're also partnering with this this guy and all the ways that he can benefit our company. And, you know, was also willing to kind of help build out the space, you know, a little bit more of like, um, just some of the the big picture, you know, some of the uh, design elements that we were wanting, and um, you know, yeah, it was. We had to take a lot of intentional time and thought into, you know, how do we make this space our own? How do we make it comfortable for people to want to sit and study, or have a business meeting, or or meet with an old friend, or, or you know, so many different things. So it's it's a real honor to to meet this guy and and be a part of what he has going on. So. Well, well, Austin, I, I uh, know personally firsthand that you think deeply about things. I know you also have a history of a worship pastor, and you and your wife are, I think, some of my favorite songwriter musicians. I think one of your songs was supposed to be my wife's first dance. There was like a weird snafu there, but uh, I know that <laughs> I know that you bring in a lot of different skills and passions and giftedness, but that your faith is a really important component of all of that. Like what? Yeah. What would you say, how has your faith impacted sort of your, your vision and dream for this new venture? Oh, man. I mean, I, th- I think it just makes the word of God come alive in new ways. You know, I think of um, like Second Peter 3, you know, um, just talking about starting in, you know, kind of verse 8 and 9. You know, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is... 
not slow in keeping his promise, as, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I think for me, it was just like, who am I to like, um, you know, look at the Lord and, and tap my wristwatch and, you know, um, be like any day now, Lord, you know, but just kind of trusting his timing and, and uh, his perfect timing and um, just being able to trust the Lord in every season. And, uh, you know, when, when things seem pretty hopeless, you know, uh, the Lord is, is up to something and he's about to come through in a big way. And, uh, yeah, it was just, um, you know, definitely <laughs> had many opportunities to, uh, increase my, my trust and, and faith in the Lord. Um, just humbling myself and, um, yeah, just waiting on him. Um, yeah, I mean, lamentation says it's good to wait on the Lord. So right. it was, uh, just an awesome opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just en- enriches our worship, too, coming from like a worship standpoint. You know, the songs that we sing and the lyrics that are so um, full of scripture just come alive when when you're in a season of like, I need the Lord to come through. I, I don't see him yet, but I will remind myself of his faithfulness. Like we see David in the Psalms continuously, like, I don't see the Lord right now, but I will remind myself of his faithfulness, his steadfast mm. love. And I will, I will hope for the day that he does come through and I know that it's going to happen. So it was just, you know, beautiful opportunity to align myself with the words of David and, and the Psalms uh, as well. So it's just awesome. That's pretty, yeah. Man. That other voice here is Austin Massey. Uh, he is a worship leader, but also the owner of uh, Viator, is that how am I saying that correctly? Viator? We pronounce it Viator like, Coffee. Viator Coffee. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just almost. A, yeah. Almost. <laughs> uh, Viator Coffee Company. It's a specialty coffee shop in Elgin, Illinois. Go to ViatorCoffeeCart.com. Also find them on Facebook and Instagram at Viator Coffee Cart. Uh, and Austin's going to stick with us for another segment. I want to talk a little bit more about taking that leap of faith and, and encouragement for people who may be kind of. Uh, do, how do I do that? Where is God calling me? So we're going to talk about that next coming up here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. We are uh, thrilled to be joined again for a second segment by Austin Massey. Austin is a worship leader in Crystal Lake, also the owner of Viator Coffee Company, uh, which is a specialty coffee shop uh, in Elgin, Illinois. And Austin, uh, where I wanted to jump off was you were telling your story last segment a little bit about how you started, how you got to this point. And, and at some point, you needed to kind of make a leap of faith, right? You need to say, Correct. I'm going to do this. And I'm curious, um, how did you make that leap? There might be people out there right now who are like, I don't know how to ever actually take that step. What kind of pushed you to jump? Is it kind of how you're wired? Was it other people helping you? What, what caused you to actually take the leap? Oh, you know, I, um, as a worship leader, you know, we are, um, just kind of leading the body of believers that we're called to. And, uh, you know, we're, we're singing songs of just, you know, the Lord's goodness, his faithfulness, how we trust in him. Um, and he's, you know, faithful to his promises, but I wasn't, personally really seeing that I wasn't ever really um, being put in a place where I needed the Lord to come through. 
And uh, I, I honestly just left one Sunday after, after church. And honestly, like the Lord kind of struck me with that. And I felt, you know, kind of convicted by like, you know, I'm singing these songs of, of how much I trust the Lord, but I, I'm not, I'm not really uh, walking that out. And, um, and so I just, you know, started kind of seeking the Lord and, and going to scripture um, as well as just, you know, seeing the examples that have been set for us uh, in the word of God. And, um, you know, just kind of felt, I was like, you know, this is an opportunity, um, you know, to, to see the Lord come through. And I, I, you know, sought a lot of counsel, sought, you know, the advice of, you know, my pastors and family and friends and, and just kind of sharing where I was at and, um, what the Lord I felt was, was spoken, speaking to me. And, uh, so a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's scary. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I've learned just to trust the Lord and his timing and, um, his leading. And, you know, there were moments where it's like, I don't know where this bill is going to, how this bill is going to get paid or, um, you know, where this money is going to come from. And then we would book a huge event, like a catering event, or Mm. we would get a random check in the mail from our dentist or like our cell phone provider. You know, it's like, wait, you're paying me now? Like, (laughs) you know, like that's interesting. Never had that happen before, but you know, it's just like, I felt like, you know, really a strong confirmation um, that, you know, the Lord knew where we were and he was honoring our steps of faith. And uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, you definitely need to not just like quit your job and like start some random thing, you know, but I think it's, it's going back to like finding counsel and, and also, you know, going back to the word of God too. And what is the Lord really saying? Um, And, and then move forward uh, in obedience. I feel like he just wants us to trust him and be broken and contrite before him. And, uh, you know, this is just one of those, one of those steps of acts of obedience and, just giving the Lord an opportunity to partner with us and, uh, um, you know, giving us a testimony and giving us, um, you know, opportunities to, to tell those crazy stories of how the Lord has come through. You know, if we don't give him an opportunity to move, then, you know, maybe he won't, you know, so that was just kind of my, my takeaways from that. What I'm curious about is what it's like now on the other side of, like you were saying in the in the earlier segment, this dream that's now kind of finally fulfilled, something that you've sort of set your sights on for a long time. And, you know, you sort of mentioned like the temptation to do the tapping on the watch thing, like anytime now God would be would be great. When now you're like on the other side of that sort of like fulfilled promise, what what does that feel like and how does that inform like your next steps? Like do you you jump right to okay now the next thing is another shop and or or do you are you so like underwater just trying to trying to get your footing now or is there a, a lot of rejoicing or is it more like fear like oh my gosh we got we finally got it and now I'm feeling overwhelmed like how are you navigating being on kind of the other side of this thing that you set your sights on for so long you know and it's it's so uh, extremely surreal uh, just to even be in the place that we're at you know having talked about this and, and dreamed about this and prayed and fasted for this, you know, for over 10, 10 years. And, uh, you know, just to be sitting in the shop 
And it's like just the, um, the most humbling, um, like you said, just opportunity to rejoice uh, in the Lord's faithfulness. And now my, my temptation, you know, I, I need to remain humble and remain uh, steadfast for the Lord and not, um, you know, uh, you know, the temptation is to like, all right, now that I, I'm good, I'm not in a place where I need the Lord to come through. I, you know, can choose to coast a little bit or, um, you know, I don't, I don't need to, um, seek the Lord as, as, uh, as intensely because I have the things that I've been praying for. And yeah, there, you know, we, we praise the Lord and rejoice that, um, you know, he is faithful to those promises. But now, now that there isn't like this, you know, huge, uh, thing in front of me to pray for, how do I remain in that, that place of, of just, uh, sincerely just needing the Lord. Um, and you know, there's, I think too, another thing I'm, I'm just learning and working through is just how to lead a business well, uh, as a believer, as, as a Christ follower, um, and setting an example, um, you know, to the business, uh, businesses around us, to my employees, um, to our customers and, you know, not in a way that's, you know, we're, we're shoving things down their throat, but just seeing, you know, we, we do want to be a light in a dark place and, um, you know, it's not necessarily a Christian coffee shop, but, you know, I can, I can treat my employees and treat my customers, uh, in a way that is edifying and, you know, something as simple as like, you know, not, not texting female employees, uh, you know, just myself, you know, but including my wife in that, you know, and, hmm. or, um, you know, just setting, you know, just boundaries in place to protect, uh, you know, the relationships that are closest to me, like my wife and, and stuff like that. And also just setting clear, uh, you know, expectations up front and just, I don't know, it's just Great. being given opportunities to put empathy into action and, and, uh, you know, how the Lord is calling us to love people and, um, do that with sincerity, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could, we could go a million different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Austin, with like our last minute, I, I want you to uh, give you the opportunity to a little sales job here. So especially someone lives out in the Elgin area. Tell us about yeah. your what specifically about your coffee shop. What makes it different? You know, so people are like, hey, there's Starbucks up the road. You know, I can do that. Tell us about what makes Viator different and why someone should stop in. Absolutely. So we are, you know, much more of a local coffee shop. It's not like a big chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we pay much more attention to the quality of the coffee that we're serving. Um, we're, you know, brewing it properly and uh, putting a lot of love into everything that we do. Um, you know, all the best, like, you know, really good latte art on everything. Hmm. Um, we do, uh, we, you know, we partner with some local uh, other companies like a, a chocolate company um, called Ethereal Confections out in Woodstock, Illinois. Um, their stuff is amazing. We partnered with uh, Milk House, uh, ice cream out in Finger Grove, just some of the best ice cream you can possibly get, you know, and bringing that the same quality that they bring to their products. We want to do that with uh, the coffee that we're serving. And there are some other amazing uh, small cafes in our area, um, you know, but we want to just focus on doing the coffee really, really well and uh, highlight that. Um, and, you know, people yeah. will, will see that and, and, um, come for that. I think, yeah. you know, we, yeah. we, uh, 
we do where there's so many families and people and lives that are in the chain of command that, that uh, put the cup of coffee in our hands, you know, from the farmers and the distributors and the roasters and all of these people that put their, you know, blood, sweat and tears into this amazing product. And we want to just serve that to that, give it, give it, you know, some, some more respect. So, yeah. You can find out more at viatorcoffeecart.com. That's V I A T O R coffee cart. Dot com. Austin uh, Massey, uh, owner of Viator Coffee Company. Thanks so much for joining us, Austin. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank right. you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right, Ian. I'm, I'm ready to know what the holidays are today. Do we have a, any kind of uh, important holidays today? I mean, you ask every time, like, do we have? They're always, yes. Every The answer is always going to be excited. yes. We, we have them. <laughs> uh, the two under the weird category are National TV Dinner Day. Oh, do you remember TV dinners growing up? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean growing up? I had one yesterday. That's. Oh, like the old school TV dinners. That's good. All right. Happy TV Dinner Day. Uh, National Swap Ideas Day. I'm, I prefer the TV dinner day. That's the one I want to celebrate. I'm, sh- today. I'm shocked to hear you say that. <laughs> we are getting ready to celebrate at the Fromm House, by the way. My son becomes a teenager tomorrow. So a big oh, day. Oh, right on. And uh, they keep getting older, but I don't. I don't know how that's happening. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like it, I think that's a dazed and confused quote that you don't want to reference. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> I didn't know that, <laughs> but tomorrow's that day. So part of the celebration. All right. At the gospel coalition, uh, Russell Moore, uh, someone we quote often, Russell Moore wrote an article called why unhealthy people crave controversy. Let me get us into this. He says in Walter Percy's novel, the movie goer, the protagonist Binks bowling reflects. Whenever I feel bad, I go to the library and I read controversial periodicals. Though I do not know whether I'm a liberal or a conservative, I'm nevertheless enlivened by the hatred which one bears for the other. In fact, this hatred strikes me as one of the few signs of life remaining in the world. This is another thing about the world which is upside down. All the friendly and likable people seem dead to me. Only the haters seem alive. Hmm. Moore goes on to say in this one paragraph, Percy may or may not have summed up his own age, but he has certainly summed up ours to be sure. Controversies happen in every era since people will have differing views on important issues and sometimes disagreements about how important those issues are. But scripture speaks repeatedly about those who have what the Apostle Paul calls an unhealthy craving for controversy. Of course, Paul was more than willing to speak into controversies himself, from opposing Peter to his face for refusing to eat with Gentiles to some of those fiery letters to the Corinthians. But this was different from craving controversy for the sake of controversy. Uh, in fact, the quarrelsomeness Paul warns against comes from the exact same place uh, as orgies from the works of the flesh, Galatians chapter five. Uh, and apart from repentance, quarrelsomeness and sexual immorality end up in the same place, condemnation and death. Those who constantly stir up foolish controversies are to be corrected, and if unresponsive, are to be seen as warped and self-condemned. The Lord's servant, meanwhile, is to flee youthful passions and to have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, since you know they breed uh, quarrels. 
why is this the case? And so he's going to start going into why do we crave controversy? Um, but it's interesting the way he he's held up this craving of controversy, this kind of poking the bear, this trying to stir things up, this longing for controversy uh, as a really dangerous thing. I'm curious if you buy it, how dangerous he paint, he paints this picture. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I uh, I was just mostly I think what's interesting is that controversy seems so normative that we don't really tend to. And I, this is like a very broad. We I'm sure plenty of people are very cognizant of how dangerous it can be. But I think it is also a little insatiable when you think about, you know, dopamine in the brain and how how the brain responds and requires more and more dopamine, you know, to achieve the same kind of neurological high controversy and the responses from it, I think for some people is it sort of gets them high. Like it is a, there's an attraction to it. And uh, I think we, I mean, we've seen this even with like tabloid types of reporting where, Oh boy. Oh that, yeah, that controversy really stirred people up and, I could see I could see people liking that feedback and taking a deeper and deeper dive into it, not realizing like how how toxic it is, not only for other people, but also for the person, you know, stirring it up. Yeah, absolutely. So he goes on to say zealous for gossip entertainment. Over the years, I've seen Christians who engaged in controversy when needed and uh, I've observed the way that the Christ-like among them so often do it with a sense of love for the good and for the well-being of those they believe in error, not a love for the fighting in itself. And I've seen those that I thought were zealous for the truth who in time proved to be zealous for the feeling of zeal. These were the ones who fought about almost everything. As the years have gone by, I have seen many such people come to light as those who are hiding deep wounds and often scandalous sin. An older pastor told me, nothing makes people angrier at others than shame in themselves. Wow, that's a good line. Hmm. Nothing makes people angrier at others than shame in in themselves. Uh, But the life of Percy's moviegoer is just as instructive. Without the spirit to give life, one will seek the feeling of life in sensation. This is the kind of life that one unbelieving novelist compared to the shock of electricity making a dead frog's legs jump. Often quarrelsomeness is just that, a desperate attempt to find a purpose or to find a place to feel important or to answer a gnawing boredom with the everydayness of life. Let me pause there. Uh, I was just having this conversation, not controversy, this conversation with somebody today. We were talking about Facebook, like you and I often do, about people getting into it. And this person made the comment, I just think people long to be heard. They long to feel that rush. They long to just be noticed. And and Moore's getting at that a little bit, that sometimes controversy is just somebody trying to feel alive, to feel heard, to feel uh, something and I never really thought of it that way, but that is kind of an interesting way to take a look at it, don't you think? Uh, <laughs> I feel like all week you've been ending with "Don't you think?" and I, <laughs> I don't think. No, I'm. Uh, I, I see what you're saying. I, I think of the MLK quote where he says uh, something like, "A riot is the language of the unheard." Right? Is this this outpouring of some kind of spoken or behaved action because of a perpetual feeling of being unheard? I think. I don't know that's true for everybody. I think plenty of people who feel unheard want to crawl deeper and deeper into their own isolation and they, they stirring controversy is the last thing they want to do. Um, but I could certainly see how for a certain personality type that that could be the case. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let me just read how uh, Russell Moore closes this article. He says, the Apostle Paul called for a kind of controversy to deal with those stirring up foolish controversies. He says in Titus 3, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. This is a very different kind of controversy. It starts with gentleness and reasonableness and ends in removing oneself rather than engaging in the quarrelsomeness from the other side. In one sense, this is a disadvantage for those seeking to be Christ-like, but it's the same sort of disadvantage people at Thanksgiving table have who don't brandish firearms and turn over the furniture to win an argument. Yes, the one shooting through the, the sheetrock and screaming profanities will probably get the last word, but do you want to trade places with them? No. Would your conclusion be next year we're really going to need more cocaine and weaponry of our own if we're going to be heard? No, you would say this is dysfunctional. We will uh, we will be elsewhere at Thanksgiving next year. And as a matter of fact, we're leaving now. Uh, he goes on to say at the end, sometimes we must be ready to speak a word into a controversy. But often what's called for is for someone to model the different way of valuing his soul over having something to say. When it comes to those for whom quarreling is life, the way to win is not to win at their game, but to play a different game altogether. I find that to be a really challenging thought. And hopefully out there, especially if you're one who likes to stir things up all the time, uh, you find this convicting as well. We're the first hours in the book. We're glad that you've been able to join us and uh, hope that you stick around for the second hour. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're going to discuss what is the mindset of a leader. And then Tony Evans is going to talk about kingdom voting. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for being with us today on this Thursday afternoon. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, if you missed any of the first hour, you can find it on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. The things we've talked about, uh, you can find the articles there. Also on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Uh, online, you can find old shows at 1160hope.com. And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are grateful to those of you who do that. Well, uh, one of the things, not surprisingly, that we've been talking about often here on our show is not just the election that's coming up, but how should the Christ follower uh, kind of think through who they're going to vote for, who they're going to support, especially in the presidential election, but then also uh, in the other things of the Congress and all sorts of other things that we are voting for. And with that in mind, uh, there was a sermon this past week from Tony Evans. I think it was this past weekend. Uh, at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. Many of you may have heard of Tony Evans. Uh, he is just a phenomenal preacher, if you're not familiar with Tony Evans. Uh, but he He's a preached, phenomenal preacher, even if you are aware of him. <laughs> if you do know him, he is. Uh, we've joked of the stories we've told about where, where you've sat and listened to a preacher and just go, oh, I can't do anything remotely like that. And Tony Evans is one of those for me. So, uh he preached a message, though, this week about voting and about politics and something called kingdom voting. And so the message he gave at his church and then at churchleaders.com, uh, they kind of talk about this sermon. So, Ian, why don't you kind of recap through church leaders what it was that Tony Evans had to say this weekend? 
Yeah, why don't I? He says uh, the article begins over the weekend. Pastor Tony Evans of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, jumped into the shark infested waters of politics to give a message about, quote, God's perspective on your vote, which I'm sure when they told people that was like the title, everyone's like, well, I'm tuning in this Sunday for sure. The 71 year old pastor instructed his congregants not to be fully committed to one political party, thinking that God is on the side of that party. Evans advocated Christians that adopt the practice of kingdom voting for the upcoming presidential election. God is a kingdom independent. Evans explained in his September 6th message, just because you're a Christian, just because you belong to Israel doesn't mean he's on your side when it comes to the battles. Preaching from Joshua 5, Evans reminded listeners that not even Israel, God's chosen nation, could claim God was unequivocally on their side when they were approaching Jericho. Interesting. Reading from the passage, Evans explained that a pre-incarnate God showed up before the famous battle of Jericho and made it clear he represented a third distinct side. And quoting from Joshua, now, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man Standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Which is probably a question that a lot of people are asking these days. Neither, he yeah. replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Evans related the story to the current political divisiveness plaguing the United States and said, I'd like to suggest there is a kingdom worldview to approaching this subject and your vote. He likened the stance of the commander of the Lord's army to that of a referee in the NFL game. In football, there are two teams playing against one another, and then there is a third team, the officials or referees who are obligated to another kingdom. They represent the NFL. Their job is to bring order to what otherwise would be a chaotic conflict, Evans explained. The officials must adjust their personal opinions and reorient their desires to represent a higher authority, and they live and judge by the official rule book they've been given. I'll pause there and just sort of get your thoughts. I, I think it's a fascinating concept. This uh, I've never heard Joshua 5 talked about in that way as kind of this third way. And uh, yeah, I need to chew on that. The idea of the referee not being for the home team or the away team, but they are uh, there to provide order and they're, they're there under a different umbrella, they work for the NFL. I think it's an interesting one. I think that's an, uh, a, a um, yeah, a, a, a metaphor or an analogy that I wouldn't have thought of. So, yeah, I think he's onto something here. So you agree with it then or so far, so far, we'll see where it goes. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I would, I would, I mean, again, every analogy breaks down eventually, but I think scripture does also talk pretty explicitly about God being on the side of the marginalized. So I think this, you could conflate, some unhelpful things like, hey, he's just the referee and there's two teams yeah. here. One's a team of abusers and one's a team of victims. But God's just making sure they still play the game. You know what I mean? Like that that analogy for me probably breaks down a little right. more quickly. But but when talking Republican, Democrat, I think it probably is a helpful analogy. So, yeah, I think so. I think probably people would. I mean, I, I talked even on the show yesterday about posting that side by side picture of Trump and Biden saying that we yeah. should be praying for them regardless and that caught some heat, uh, which I wasn't that surprised by. But the article goes on and says, unfortunately, Evan said far too many Christians change books. Instead of looking to the Bible for how to vote or how to engage in politics, they go to their political posturing. They go to individual perspectives, histories, and make arguments there. When engaging in politics, Evan says, we've got to stop using the part of the book that we like while ignoring the whole counsel of God. 
it's unfortunate today that we've had Christians put on Republican jerseys, other Christians who put on Democratic jerseys, Evans lamented, when in reality, neither party can fully represent the kingdom worldview by which the Christians should live. For this reason, Evans instructed his congregants to be Democrat light or Republican light. The problem is that no political party only votes God's way. Evans explained some pick righteousness, others pick judgment, justice, some pick life emphasis uh, in the womb, some some life justice to the tomb. A third way Evans identified is kingdom voting, which he identifies as the opportunity and responsibility of committed Christians to partner with God by expanding his rule in society through civil government. All right. So that's a that's a mouthful. What do you think of that sentence? The opportunity and responsibility of committed Christians to partner with God by expanding his rule in society through civil government. All right. Yeah. Like you said, there's a lot there. I think this idea of having. Uh, for lack of a better word, a, a gospel lens as opposed to a Republican or a Democratic lens, I think is helpful to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to view this world, as he says, as an opportunity uh, to to glorify God and expand his rule, not expand the rule necessarily of the Republicans or the Democrats. And uh, like you said, it's a mouthful, but I, I think there's there's some important truth there. And some people might be thinking, well, isn't this obvious? And I would just remind you that we've now done multiple um, stories of, you know, whether it be Robert Jeffers or John MacArthur or Jack Graham, basically saying you can't be a Christian and vote Democrat. You have to vote this way. And I, I appreciate Tony Evans in the midst of this uh, saying, no, there's got to be a third way. And let me paint what that third way looks like. I think there's a lot of people, myself included, who find this as a breath of fresh air and very helpful as we kind of navigate this kind of election season. Here's how the article ends. He says, uh, in Joshua chapter six, we see that Joshua took a knee. He got an answer showing the Israelites how to win the battle. Kingdom voting is an important concept for the church to grasp because, as Evan believes, we wouldn't have a racial divide in this country if it weren't for the church. So that could probably be a whole other segment going (laughs) on. Quoting Evans, the church is the cause. The good thing is it's also the cure for the racial divide, creating havoc for our society. If we were to extrapolate this reasoning to our political divisiveness as well, Evans implies that perhaps the church can also heal the political divide. So, again, a tall order. There's a lot more going on there. Some some of it to me feels a little bit straw man, I guess, because at the end of the day, you still have to. I mean, you don't have to. You have two main parties to vote for. Um, but I think. At the very least, I, I I appreciate the sentiment behind what what he calls kingdom voting. I think that's I think that's an important call. Yeah, and, and the posture that it's encouraging the Christ follower to take the priority of of his kingdom, and and I think is also a, a helpful posture. Well, coming up next, speaking of pastors who are really good preachers, we're going to hear from Craig Grishel next, uh, specifically talking about leadership and what should be the mindset. Of leaders. That's coming up next from Craig Grishel here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks again for being here on this Thursday afternoon, or if you're listening to the podcast, whenever it is that you are listening out there in the future somewhere. Uh, hope that you're doing well. And uh, we are grateful. Those of you who listen to the podcast, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that really does help us. So uh, Craig Grishel, you may not know that name, or maybe you do. He is uh, the the lead pastor at Life Church in Oklahoma. Am I right? Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. 
Life Church in Oklahoma, which by some metrics is the biggest church in all of America, one of the biggest at least. And Craig Grishel, uh, he speaks a lot about leadership and he is a, uh, a passionate leader. If you, uh, you're about to hear it in this audio clip, uh, but Craig Grishel is a passionate leader and wants to see the church uh, grow in its leadership capabilities. And so we're going to play a clip here for you. It's about two minutes long in which Craig Grishel talks about the mindset of a leader. What does he ask of leaders in his church uh, and and what is he trying to impart? So let's listen to this and then we will respond. That is, this is Craig Grishel. There's five things that in my own language, I want to have in the mindsets of our leaders. What are those five things? I want a bias for action. I want bold leadership. I want defiant stubbornness. I want leaders who think like owners, and I want an obsessive focus. If I'm trying to drive the mindset of our leaders, I want a bias for action. In other words, we're always going to fail somewhere along the way. But when we fail, we want to fail being active, not passive. I want bold leadership. I want our leaders to believe in limitless horizons, not afraid of failure, because growth and comfort never, ever coexist. I want defiant stubbornness. I want an aversion to bureaucracy. I don't want anybody to tell me something can't be done. We will find a way to get it done. Also, I want our leaders to think like owners. We want to think like owners, not managers. I did a whole podcast on this. We don't see problems. We see opportunities. We own the outcome. And then finally, the mindset I want is I want an obsessive focus. We don't grow with our yeses over time. We grow with our noes. We have the discipline not to do everything. So we're going to do the things that add the most value. These are the mindsets that I would interpret from the founder's mindset I'm trying to drive. Bias for action, bold leadership, defiant stubbornness, thinking like owners, and obsessive focusedness. In other words, we're not sharing a blueprint. We're spreading a mindset. This is how we think. This is what we believe about ourselves. As an organization, we may not be good at it, yet we can grow. We have a growth mindset. Look at your organization. Is the mindset fixed or is it growing? We need a growth mindset to defeat the bad negative mindsets that hold. All righty, and Craig Rochelle there uh, about the mindset of our leaders. Which of his, he kind of listed five there. Uh, which ones maybe stood out the, the most to you there? I mean, I think they all sound like Craig Rochelle. I, I wasn't necessarily surprised by any of them. I think the one that, the thing that often bums me out, I guess, when I see a lot of these lists is there's not typically anything included about a compassion for people or mm. A mindfulness even of one's own like mental, spiritual, physical well-being. Again, it was only a list of five, so I don't want to pull a a whataboutism here. We're like, well, there's like ten more you should have added, because you know, because we could do that all day long. It's it's easy to pick apart a list of five and add all the things that should have been there or you feel like should have been there. I do think a lot of those types of things tend to be absent from lists like this, like how we care for people, our own our own mental health, that kind of stuff seems to be frustratingly absent. And if the stories that you and I have done over the last year and a half are any indication, it seems like a lot of leaders are, are missing that mark. Too. I think a lot of them have a bias for action, bold leadership, defiant stubbornness and think like owners and they're obsessively focused. 
um, but they're losing their families and their minds. So mm-hmm. at, what, at what point does doing those five things, is it not worth it? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can, you can be all those things and still be losing at home or losing in your own quiet time. Again, short clip. I've heard him preach and teach elsewhere where I know that he would, he would certainly advocate for boundaries and rhythm and Sabbath and family. And I'm not, I'm not slamming any of that. I just, I do sometimes find it curious that things like, you know, self care do tend to be often absent from not just lists, but lists specifically about leaders. There's a lot of lists and podcasts and articles written about like how important it is to create margin and be mindful of those things. But for some reason we don't tend to think of applying those things in leadership circles. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. I, I wasn't going to go down that direction, but I think you've opened a good door. Uh, and we've both heard Craig Grishel speak uh, enough to know uh, that that he has, like you said, some really, really strict boundaries in his own life. And so this isn't about Craig Grishel, but I'm curious, do you think these kind of lists, which again, you could add, you could put this to the business world, you could put this to anything but do you think these lists are not helpful then for the reasons you've said to pastors or is it just make sure you've got the other things you've thought these other things and then kind of tackle these? Do you find these kind of leadership principles and the focus on leadership to be helpful for pastors or is it in some ways uh, more dangerous? I, I think it totally depends on the person. I, I think you'll have some people that are already naturally wired to think like this and probably probably could use a a conference or a book or a podcast on rest and margin, but, and you and I, I mean, we know this to be true. There's plenty of pastors who it's not intrinsic in their DNA to do any of those things. And they find themselves at the helm of a church or an organization. They're like, Oh yeah, I, okay. I really, I really do need to step up some of my boldness. I've been really timid for a long time, or I've not thought like an owner. I've not been, focused you know i'm i'm dipping a toe in 17 different ponds and i'm not really you know i I think it i think it can be really really helpful for certain kinds of people um but like anything if if somebody if a leader is already prone to lethargy and laziness a talk on like rest and sabbath still might be really helpful and might elevate for them like how they embrace or interact with rest or it might just solidify in their mind. Like, see, it's good that I'm only working four hours a week. And you're like, no, man, <laughs> like that's maybe not the message there. So I, I think that's one of the unique things about pastoral ministry is that you have alpha and beta pastors. You have every type of Enneagram and Myers-Briggs and strengths find it. Like it's, it, it, it is interesting. The unique diversity that you find in pastoral leadership and certain lists, I think are really helpful and other lists, maybe just not so much, but over, overall, I, I think, I think Groshaw makes some good points. Yeah, I, it makes me remember the book um, Larry Osborne wrote, Lead Like a Shepherd, which is a great uh, book kind of for pastors as to what you're describing. What's what's a yeah. shepherd? What does a shepherd do? And uh, I've always challenged by that. The one in Groshaw's list that gets me is this first one, The Bias for Action. Uh, I loved in that clip how he said, I'd rather fail acting than, in, than not acting, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, and I resonate with that. But yet this is a hard one for me. I like to have all my ducks in a row. And then we've discussed all the ducks in a row. And then we've made sure again, they're all in a row before acting. And he's like, uh, no, no, we, we just want to act. And, and then we'll apologize for it later. And that could get you in trouble. But that one was the one that challenged me because I don't know how you are. But for me, sometimes I can really t- it can really take a long time for me to pull the trigger on things. And so when I heard that one, I was like, OK, that's a good one. 
Yeah, I think that was Facebook, right? That had kind of popularized uh, move fast and break stuff, which there's <laughs> there's now been a lot of a lot of writing since then that, you know, yes. many could make many can make the case of like, wow, that philosophy is part of what made them so innovative. And now yeah. in the wake, you're like, yeah, that also left a lot of ironically broken stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, I, I think, again, again, they're axioms. They're meant to be quippy and no short. Doubt. But uh, yeah, good, good no caution. Doubt. Yep. Well, that's Craig Grishelle. You can hear that again if you missed it. Uh, at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, an article from churchleaders.com that says the state of our theology in 2020 is pretty concerning. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. I am Brian Fromm. Uh, Happy to have you with us today on a much cooler Thursday afternoon. I feel like fall might be coming. And uh, I hope I feels like it got cool very quickly today. So hopefully we'll get a little bounce back. I need like that mid 70s shorts and a hooded sweatshirt weather. Well, uh, Brian, you are in luck because that is all next week. I'm looking forward to it. Your your lip to God's ears right there, man. I hope that is the case. And so, uh, yeah, we're glad that you're with us today. Hey, we're going to about to talk about theology, the state of our theology, it says in the in 2020. But before we do that, let me tell you something uh, going on here at the station, because, you know, seeing Israel, if you've ever had a chance to go to Israel, it is a lifetime memory. Uh, but taking a Bible prophecy tour of Israel could change your life. So right now you can enter for a chance to win a Bible prophecy tour to Israel next March with Dr. Robert Jeffers. Enter today at 1160hope.com, keyword Israel. Again, that's 1160hope.com, keyword Israel. There you go, enter to win a Bible prophecy tour to Israel next March with Dr. Robert Jeffers. So hopefully somebody from uh, somebody from our station wins right there, somebody from the Chicagoland area. That would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you going to enter? I think you should. Are we allowed to win that? No, I'm sure we're not. Oh. Man, I'd like to go to Israel with Dr. Robert Jeffers. That'd be good times. Jeffers or Jeffress? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's, it's well, you just read it, right? How's it, how's it spelled? How's his last name spelled? It is spelled like Jeffress, but you know, uh, I I go with Jeffers, which maybe I'm wrong. So <laughs> we're about to call him Bobby J. Go with Bobby then, J. <laughs> yeah, I know it's spelled this way, but I like to go this other way, and maybe just maybe I'm incorrect in that. There is Ian Simpkins getting on me again there. (laughs) We've had this conversation many times. Stephanie Martin at churchleaders.com. She wrote, the state of our theology in 2020 is pretty concerning. Why don't you let us know what she had to write there? It's actually Stephanie Martin is how I'm (laughs) here at churchleaders.com. She said, um, so in its by, oh boy, what's that word? Biennial? By Already three words in biennial. Like, yeah, biennial. But, but what does that mean, though? Centennial is every hundred years. Biennial right? taking place every other year. I should have known that. Okay, okay. So let's start over. Ready and <laughs> Ready. go. In its biennial state of theology survey, Legionnaire Ministries uncovered rampant confusion about basic Christian beliefs and a continued need for clear biblical teaching. I will pause and quickly say, I would imagine confusion about basic Christian beliefs as Legionnaire Ministries believes them to be. That's a, they're, still, they're still a particular, you know, 
brand. The 2020 State of Theology Survey commissioned through LifeWay Research was completed in early March, just before the pandemic caused widespread shutdowns. 3,000 U.S. adults, including 630 professing evangelicals, responded to 35 statements about faith-based and ethical issues. While many findings raised alarms for church leaders, they also point to the ongoing importance of industry among Americans. Survey respondents, uh, survey responses about Jesus's identity, biblical truth and salvation are especially noteworthy. More than half, 52 percent of American adults and 30 percent of evangelicals strongly or somewhat agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. Almost half, 48% of survey respondents and 15% of evangelicals say the Bible isn't literally true, which I would have all sorts of questions about what they meant by Mm -hmm. literally true. Mm -hmm. Uh, More than half, 54% of U.S. adults and 23% of evangelicals say religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth. 56% of all respondents and 84% of evangelicals say righteousness comes not through works, but through faith in Jesus. 63% of all respondents and 42% of evangelicals agree with the statement, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Regarding social issues, issues, social issues, issues. (laughs) oh boy, 88% of evangelical Christians label abortion a sin, 21% say gender identity is a matter of choice. 17% say modern science disproves the Bible, and 11% say the Bible's condemnation of homosexuality no longer applies. In response to the statement, learning about theology is for pastors and scholars only. Uh, Only 15% of U.S. adults and 10% of evangelicals agree. Uh, That, say researchers, offers hope that Americans are open to learning about matters of faith, particularly with the fears and concerns uh, occasioned by COVID-19, they write, People may now be giving more thought to ultimate matters of eternal significance. So I'll stop before the uh, the call to action portion here. What do you what do you make of those findings? A, a lot of interesting ones. I think the most uh, a lot of them made sense to me. Right. But the, the biggest one that jumped out to me was the first one that the, the number of evangelicals who seem to have a little bit of confusion about who Jesus is, that that's particularly particularly uh, interesting to me. Um, some of the other ones didn't, uh, weren't huge red flags to me. That was probably the most red flagish one to me. Which ones are two stood out for you? I mean, they all were a little surprising, to be honest. Yeah. I, I actually really am surprised that so few said the theology is for pastors and scholars only. That actually is, is quite, uh, encouraging, I think, because, you know, in, in my, I feel like, I don't know if I can say that I'm still new in ministry, but, I feel like for the first 10 years or so, I often heard the phrase like, but that's for you pastor types. That's yeah. for you yeah. scholars and professors. And that's not really for me to worry about. So I, yeah, I am encouraged by that. I also, I also find it interesting to note some of the disparity because some of them are very, very close, but others when they were, when they were serving, you know, Americans and specifically evangelicals and the gap was huge. That to me is, uh, is pretty surprising. And, and also maybe there's, there's more to that. Yeah, absolutely. So not just off of this survey, but I I guess I wanted to turn this towards you and I are pastors. You know, we think about these things. Is there anything that stands out to you like, oh, man, this kind of gets me centered on here? Or or what what do you as a pastor and we as churches do with this sort of information? How do you? I'm so glad you asked, Brian, because this next section is called a call to action. And I'd love to read it if that's all right. Oh, I didn't I didn't see there was another section, but now I think about that. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's called a call to action. Results from the 2020 survey underscore the need for solid Bible-based ministry, say legionnaire representatives. Specifically, they point to the importance of teaching Christology, the doctrine of Jesus's identity. I would actually agree with that. I don't know why I said actually, but uh, there's probably not a lot of people who would even know where to begin with this notion of Christology. I agree. It's really, really significant. This survey shows that people inside the church need clear Bible teaching just as much as those outside the church, says Chris Larson, president and CEO of Legion Ministries. With biblical illiteracy and doctrinal error on the rise, we remain committed to contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Dr. Stephen Nichols, Legionnaire's chief academic officer, says the results quote, shed light on many longtime concerns of Christian churches. As the culture around us increasingly abandons its moral compass, professing evangelicals are sadly drifting away from God's absolute standard in Scripture, he says. The church does not have the luxury of idly standing by. This is a time for Christians to study Scripture diligently, engage confidently with people in our culture, and witness fearlessly to the identity and saving work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And uh, then it gives links to the complete uh, results that we talked about. I would find I, I would say probably a couple of things about even that section. Again, if you're not familiar with, you know, Legionnaire Ministries, they fit pretty squarely in a traditional reformed camp. Yep. And so some of what, you know, they perceive as, I don't, you know, drifting away or, or abandoning solid doctrine. Um, there's probably some aspects of that where someone that's like, no, I'm still squarely an Orthodox Christian. I just don't necessarily uh, fit into this camp anymore. So I would probably add a couple of asterisks throughout this article to like, hey, it maybe doesn't have to be as spooky as some of this is you know, making it out to be. But uh, I do I do find it really fascinating. Yeah. And I think their main takeaway about uh, the importance of Christology, who is Jesus? What has he done? Uh, I think we can never discuss that enough within churches, right? Sometimes we can get sidetracked uh, and into important stuff, uh, but we can never just assume everybody knows who Jesus is or why that's imp- why it's important who right. Jesus is. So I think that's a good takeaway. Well, coming up next, uh, today's an important day, uh, another day of remembrance. We're going to discuss, and that's how we are going to close the show. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. So Ian, I was perusing Facebook, as one does this morning, and uh, you wrote a really long post, and it's actually how I learned I was unaware that today is World Suicide Prevention Day, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you wrote a lengthy, really well-written post. And so as I tend to like to do, I'm going to have you read your own post uh, about World Suicide Prevention Day. Before you read it, I'm curious, um, why did you write it? What was behind taking all of this time and energy uh, on this World Suicide Prevention Day? Yeah, it's actually something that I've I've tweaked over the years. I, I have been passionate about the church destigmatizing conversations around mental illness for a while. Um, so this, you know, this is probably my third or fourth kind of iteration okay. or, or tweak of of this post, but I think. I mean, I I have had a number of close friends that have been affected in one way, shape or form and realizing and the more you hear stories that the church in a lot of places, in a lot of ways, has not either been equipped to have these conversations or has actively almost worked to perpetuate stigmas that I think are are really unhelpful. And because it's just something that, you know, in a lot of ways hits close to home, I I, it's just it feels inconsequential because it's just a Facebook post, but I, I try every year to to do something to kind of 
do my part to shed a little light on a, on a topic that I think is really important. Awesome. And I appreciate it. And like I said, it's pretty lengthy. But if you wouldn't mind, I thought we'd end the show on this World Suicide Prevention Day because it's such an important conversation that affects, like you said, so many more people than we even imagine, uh, whether it's themselves or it's uh, the mental health of family and friends, people they love. So I thought we'd end the show with you just reading this. And so if you wouldn't mind doing that, why don't you just read your Facebook post? Yeah, for sure. It says today is World Suicide Prevention Day. There's so much I don't know or understand about suicide, but if there's anything I've learned over the years, it's this. Mental illness doesn't discriminate. The wealthy and the poor, the successful and defeated, we are all afflicted alike. In the creation story of Genesis, we're given a glimpse of a man and a woman in perfect relationship with their creator until the unanimity is fractured. And what is the first thing they did after? They hid. They ran. And I think a lot of us have been doing the same ever since. But it doesn't have to be this way. We must move beyond cordiality. We need to start pulling back the curtain to reveal the truth about our own struggles and fears. But maybe even more than that, we have to continue to create spaces where people feel it's safe to stop hiding in the first place. We need to be the kind of people that help others know it's okay to not be okay. There is more than a good chance that there are countless people around us who see us mourn the tragic loss of a celebrity, but doubt that anyone would even notice if they themselves were gone. There are many who feel as though they're drowning, but see the rest of us kind of live our lives as if the world were our oyster. Transparency, true transparency, isn't pretending that we're perfect, but admitting that we can't be. It starts with confession and community. And the truth is, this is very, very hard to do. But it's worth repeating regularly. Depression is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. Mental illness is not a sin. Depression is exhausting and it's cruel. It tells you terrible things about yourself. It tells you, it tells people the meanest things about themselves. It stockpiles ammunition and it opens fire. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure depression. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure PTSD. Loving Jesus doesn't always cure anxiety, but he promises to never leave us. He promises that he's near the brokenhearted. And if we hope to love those around us, we have to be willing to admit that, at least at some level, who we present ourselves is not truly the person we are at the deepest level. We need to destigmatize depression and mental unhealth in our faith communities. We need to learn to look sadness and anguish in the face and remind each other that we're not alone. We have a deep need to remember you matter. You matter to God and you matter to others. Truthfully, I think our default position is to believe that God is somewhat disappointed and frustrated with us, waiting impatiently for us to get our act together. We believe that at best, he's simply tolerating us, putting up with the mess that we've become, but nothing could be further from the truth. And depression is a liar. If this is you in any way, please know this. There's nothing you've done or could ever do that has more power than the cross of Jesus. The gospel is good news for messed up people of which I am one. The Bible never hides the stories of grief, pain, and sorrow. Maybe that means that we don't have to either. It's not about trying harder, but resting more fully in the truth that we are fully known and loved and getting the help that we need. If you're not struggling, be the person who reaches out. Everyone you know is fighting a battle we know nothing about. We can't stop suicide and depression, but we can understand it a lot better. We can stop telling people with depression to just cheer up. We can be more sensitive to this very real, very misunderstood disease. Empathy and compassion are enormous gifts to those struggling to ignore the mean messages from their own minds. 
And may we all remember that we do not love others in the midst of pain and suffering by pretending that it isn't all bad or by trying to swiftly fix it with simple platitudes. We love them first by weeping with them. It is when we enter into their pain and are ourselves changed by it that we can begin to heal. And then importantly, you leave the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline here, 1-800-273-8255. You know, there was a, it was just today, there's a story going around. Um, Dak Prescott, the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys yesterday, he opened up in a press conference about his brother's suicide this year and about his own struggle with depression mm-hmm. during the course of this pandemic. And just today on National Suicide Prevention Day, a very well-known sports uh, pontificator this morning uh, basically ripped him for opening up and admitting to depression, saying that a starting quarterback shouldn't show that weakness to the other teams. I don't know if you saw that today. If not, it's flying around and, and people thankfully are ripping him for that, but just that that's the stigma out there that you should never show weakness, whether you're a quarterback or a pastor or a mother or a teacher, whatever else you might be. Uh, is part of the problem. And so if that's you out there, uh, I would encourage you to go back and read Ian's Facebook post. We'll put it up on our churches, uh, our churches, our show's Facebook page. <laughs> uh, we'll put it there. It's got the, some links for you. Uh, but as he said, if you're struggling, uh, there's, there's hope, there's help. Uh, if you're not struggling, be somebody uh, who reaches out because asking other people to reach out is asking too much often. So be yeah. the person who reaches out, as you said. Uh, and, and man, I just am grateful for what you wrote here. You ended it with a quote. Let me just read it and then we'll call it a day. Uh, from Jamie Twarkowski mm-hmm. to write love on her arms. It says, above all else, we choose to stay. We choose to fight the darkness and the sadness, to fight the questions and the lies and the myth of all that's missing. We choose to stay because we are stories still going, because there is still some time for things to turn around, time for surprises and for change. We stay because no one else can play our part. Life is worth living. We'll see you tomorrow. That's how you ended your Facebook mm-hmm. post. And so, again, uh, Ian didn't ask to read this. I asked him to read it. And so we will, uh, if you need help or this was just something that you need to read again, go read it. It's up at our Facebook page today being World Suicide Prevention Day. I thought that was an important way to end the show. Well, we're really glad that you joined us today. Uh, It's been a good day to be together. We will be together again tomorrow. Going to celebrate a Friday together and uh, hope that you can join us. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life.